All right, if you will, just uh, I'd love to start with just a little prayer. God, we love you so much, and we thank you just again for your community. Thank you for just the privilege to get to be a part of one. And I just pray that you continue through uh, this morning and just through the year that you would help us to uh, become more and more aware of just what a blessing not only the community is, but just how needed it is for each of us individually, that we can really feel uh, like a part, that we can feel like we matter, that we're missed, and that we have something to give. And I just pray that you would impress that on us. And I just pray right now for this uh, sermon as we close this series out, that you would really uh, encourage each and every one in here in some form or fashion, and uh, that we can go out and we can live wisely in a way that um, honors you among uh, both believers and non-believers. We love you. Amen. Awesome. So as I said, you know, it, it's always hard to give a sermon on something you don't feel like you do very well. So, uh, yeah, I, I feel a little guilty. But, you know, I, I think if you're honest with yourself, this is something all of us do poorly in some form or fashion. Um, our speech is such a big deal, and it's sad to me. I've just been thinking about the very simple reality that the same mouth I use to come in here and praise God, the same mouth that I use to give people hope and uh, fill needs is the same mouth that I'm just so quick to condemn and judge and berate and manipulate with. It's sad. Um, So we're going to jump into that. I think that there's a lot of opportunity for growth here. My goal certainly is not to shame any of us. Uh, I think we feel plenty of that on this. But I think that there's a really good opportunity. You know, we talk a lot about this, so we don't need to dwell on it. But we live in a society just full of anger. And there's a lot of things that, that corrupt our speech besides anger. But anger is just such a pandemic. And, uh, you know, I, that's definitely something I've had in me since I was a little one. I, I, I feel like I've always kind of related with the Sons of Thunder. I have a very uh, warped sense of justice. Uh, very selfish, uh, vengeance type. Uh, I was joking with Jamie Ann the other day. I was joking, but let's be honest. I would actually do this. If I was Superman, I would totally just be like throwing people off the highway. I'd be like throwing up up into space. Be like, you just chill there for a while. Um, I don't know. I'm very creative in what I want to do to people. <laughs> don't act like I'm the only one. But Yeah, I'm just glad that I'm not in charge, Uh, but I do really want to grow in this area. And so I'll just say that to you for kind of full transparency. This is uh, an area that I feel, especially as a pastor, that I'm probably held to a higher standard on. And, uh, you know, it's just so easy uh, with spouses, with uh, friends, even as you get close, uh, when you're on the road. I think we give ourselves a lot of allowance with non-believers we feel like are attacking the right ideologies and right opinions. It's just easy to be pretty ungodly, isn't it? So I hope that today you really open your mind, open your heart, and really uh, try to listen to what the God, uh, the God, what God, I mean, it is the God, so I guess that's correct, what God is speaking to you today. James tells us that anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Do we believe that? Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. That's a powerful statement. It's easy to say it's true because it's the Bible, but do we believe that? Is that true and why is it true? Matthew tells us the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. 
We live with greatly cluttered hearts filled with many conflicting beliefs, attitudes, and even idols. I think we can agree that if our heart is full of Jesus, it can only speak things of Jesus. And I think that's what he's getting at. It will speak words of love and peace, forgiveness, patience, mercy, hope, truth. list goes on. It can only speak what Jesus speaks. So what's our problem? Put simply, we need more Jesus. And I think this sounds a bit cliche to us sometimes, right? It's kind of that God-shaped hole in each of us. I don't think we literally have a God-shaped hole But we do have a God-shaped hole. We were made for Jesus, and we've crammed so many other ideologies and idols and attitudes and postures and entitlements in us, and we've squeezed a lot of him out. I can assure assure you it's no trivial matter. Jesus living in us is the sum and substance of our whole being. Amen? Without Jesus sitting comfortably at home in every fiber of our being, we're hopelessly lost if we want to pursue wise living. Whatever that is, with wealth, um, with anger, with words, all the things that we've been going through. James explains the power and danger of the tongue, I think, really well. And I think it's easy to kind of get... Let like the beauty maybe of the words for some of us, those that really like literature and like words like I do, it's easy to kind of let some of that eclipse the true meaning, but I would hope that you would really listen to what he's saying. In his third chapter, he says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. I don't think that's hyperbole. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praises and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The tongue is clearly a danger we've got to reckon reckon with seriously. I know for me, I like to kind of stick my foot in my mouth a lot. And I sometimes in silly fashions, you you get to hear that a lot up here. I say really weird things and uh, form words together. But I think uh, more often, you know, it's just I don't think before I speak. I don't assess if what I am saying and feeling is true. I'd rather just get my emotion out and I respond quickly. So I end up setting myself on fire and those around me on fire. It's kind of the same thing with like traffic. You know, you go out one day and you're, you're raging at everybody. And before you know it, you're far more mad than the infraction called for. You just fuel it. We vent it. And I think that's one of the, the pieces of worldly wisdom we've got to do away with. It's like this, this childish mentality of I've got this like wellspring of emotion in me, and if I don't get it out, I'm going to burst, so I've got to get it out. 
That's not true. That's not true. And often if we would just wait a second, it will go away. But I know for me, I just make myself into a raging machine because of one little infraction, and I just probably feel like being mad. That's a sad reality with so many other things that corrupt us. We, we get this sick sense of pleasure out of it. I feel just, and I feel right, and I get to feel that for a moment, and I'm going to take that out on somebody else. That's not godly. But I just wonder, I kept asking myself, and I'll have you ask yourself, why have so many of us allowed ourselves to grow comfortable cursing others with the same mouth we praise God with? Again, I'll ask, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same source? No, they cannot. Yet we try, we excuse, we continue. And so I would just say perhaps our hearts, our, our hearts are not where we think they are. Because it's a hard thing to measure, and it's easy to say, oh, I'm doing pretty good. Or maybe even, oh, I'm doing really good. That was a pretty small infraction. Oh, I just got this one little thing. That's something I talk a lot about with um, lust in particular with, with guys, is we think if we just get this one kind of glaring problem out of the way, then we'll feel really good. And it's like, no, something else is just going to come into view. It's just eclipsed everything else because you feel more shame for that. Perhaps we are not in control of ourselves as much as we think we are. But I think there's a really sobering truth in Matthew, Matthew 12, 36 to 37. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Oof. I think I heard somebody say yikes. That's a good one. Yikes. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. There's a Greek phrase for this, and it just means careless or inactive or unprofitable words. Have many careless and unprofitable words. I think what he's saying here, what it seems to me, is that these words are going to be used to gauge our spiritual condition on Judgment Day. He seems to be saying that there's no better judge of a person's heart than the things that come from their mouth. Some of you may have heard of Aesop. He was kind of an a ancient storyteller, and he has this little fable, and he says, Once upon a time, a donkey found a lion's skin. He tried it on, strutted around, and frightened many animals. Soon a fox came along, and the donkey tried to scare him too, but the fox, hearing the donkey's voice, said, If you want to terrify me, you'll have to disguise your bray. And Aesop's moral was, Clothes may disguise a fool, but his words will give him away. Jesus is no fool. And our disguises and excuses won't work on him. He knows all and he hears our bray. I just want to talk about a few points today, really from kind of a a positive perspective as much as possible. My points are going to be brief, but number one, wise speech builds people up. Two, wise speech knows when to keep silent. Sounds like an odd, odd point, but I think it's important. Three, wise speech scatters knowledge. And four, wise speech is full of the grace of God. So one, why speech builds people up? Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building, for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I think I maybe kind of touched on this before, but one of the most popular excuses I think we use in our speech today is this kind of attitude of like, I couldn't help it, right? We like to put the blame on other people. They egged me on. You know, and I gave them a chance and they just wouldn't take it. So they kind of deserved it. and We let ourselves off the hook. Either I'm less to blame or I'm not blame at all. You had it coming to you. 
Raise your hand if you've had that excuse. Come on. Sinners. Um, But I think Paul is making it quite clear here that we are in control. And we are going to be held accountable to these things. He says, let no unwholesome talk, or other versions will say corrupt, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. It's pretty unfair to say that if that is not something that we can achieve. We have control. You are not out of control of your body. I think the question here is, do you desire that those in your presence are not torn down, but rather edified and built up by your speech? Is that something you think about? Is that a desire that wells within your heart, that you want to be somebody that when they're with you, they know that's a man or that is a woman of God? And I know that because of the way that they speak when I'm around them. I know that because of the way they make me feel when I'm around them. When I'm around this person, I know that they're going to ask about me. I know they're going to look for needs to be filled. I know they're going to remember things about me. I know that they're going to speak grace and hope into my life. I think another pervasive attitude we have in the West is just, I don't care what people think. Right? I don't care what people think. There's this, uh, I really even hate to allude to it, but, you know, there's, uh, maybe it's a book, but it's kind of like become this whole philosophy of the art of not giving an F. You guys heard of that? It's sad that now we've created that as a virtue and we're trying to teach young people how not to care. Where did we get this? How can we think this type of view is comparable with Jesus or compatible at all? Certainly we can't appease everybody. We can't impress everybody. I don't think we need to overly worry about that. But we can't just throw it out altogether. Jesus cared what people thought deeply, deeply. I don't think, again, we need to dwell on all of these. Most of these are pretty known. I really just want to bring them back into your awareness. But some of the speech that builds up in my mind is speech that expresses value. When you're with your close people, do you express their value to them? Because it's easy to forget your own value. I was with a brother this, this week, and man, uh, he just really doesn't see his value. He has this, he knows it's wrong. And I say this because I think a lot of people feel this way at different times of their life. But he thinks, like, he was asking me this question, like, what do I bring to the table? He doesn't feel like he brings anything. He doesn't feel like he's funny enough. doesn't feel like he's smart enough. He's, like, thinking he's got to perform. And I'm like, dude, I don't even think about that when I'm with you. I just enjoy you for who you are. You may make me laugh sometimes, but I don't expect you to make me laugh every time we're together. I enjoy you and value you for who you are because of who Christ made you. He said your value. You you have value. That's why we say a lot that we love people best when we love God most. You can't see people through the proper lens until you've made God the love of your life. Then people come into view. That's why I get it. You know, the same brother, we've talked a lot about the difficulty of just not becoming a full-blown cynic in our society, especially when you just gouge, to use uh, Tory's word, on media. Or gorge, that was the word you used. Just gorge. Gouge? Wrong word. <laughs> See what I mean? I cannot speak English. We gorge ourselves on media, and it's negative, and we buy into this, this mentality that everybody's corrupt and that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. But I don't think that's Jesus' view. 
I, I, I know I've quoted this too much, and I'm sorry, probably, maybe, I don't know, but I'm going to quote it again. But one of my favorite quotes is from Thomas Merton. He just said, I'm in a state of ecstasy over the human race. I just, it's just been ping-ponging in my head ever since I read that. It makes me emotional because I want to see people the way that Jesus sees people. I want to see their value. And so that's the question. Do you see their value? And do you speak that into people's lives? Because people need that. Two, speech gives hope. I just, I mean, we have a million examples, but my mind just first goes to Shannon and John because they're close friends. But, you know, they've talked a lot here as we've done community sharing and testimonies about the difficulty of imagining trying to go through Haley Ganster's cancer and her treatment alone. If they had, had not had this community, how do people do that alone? I can't imagine. They can't. It's like the other day, some of you already know, but, you know, we, we have a twins, my wife and I on the way. It's a mono-mono pregnancy. Most of you won't know what that is. I had no clue what that is. But it's a high-risk pregnancy. And a couple days ago, hopefully Jamie Ann's fine with me sharing this, but um, I was on a ministry call, and she came in and was having, hev- having heavy bleeding and was like, we got to go to the ER. So I get off the phone. We're rushing to the ER. Call my parents. They're going to meet us up there and watch over the girls. And it's just one of those hurry-up-and-wait situations. We go to one ER. They're taking forever. I'm like, okay, we're going to another one. We go to another one and call them. They're like, we'll get you in quick. Well, then we get there, and they're like, oh, you're only 15 weeks pregnant. You have to be 20 weeks pregnant to skip the line. So now it's kind of like a hurry up and wait. Long story short, twins are okay. Good news. But I was just thinking in that moment, how do people not just completely spiral in a moment like that? And God forbid, because many people do, you get there, you get the sonogram, and you find out the babies aren't okay. I can't imagine doing that alone. We are people of hope. We are people that have the message of hope. And not only do we need to be willing to give it, we need to be looking to give it. Speech that builds up is speech that encourages. And I think this is an elementary principle, but I think it's worth remembering that encouraging is a lot more than just kind of like tickling somebody's funny bone, you know? It can be very soothing, um, and certainly I think a lot of times uh, even some of the more superficial things can be good and healthy. Of Like, oh, your hair looks really nice today. I think all those things are good. But do we ever try to strive for something deeper, that we put courage into people? I know you're going through this, but you know what? I know that you can do this. I know you're struggling with this, but I know you can overcome it. Whatever that is, you know, I've had so many models in my life where much is given, much is expected, right? I've had so many models put courage into me at so many points in my life that were so necessary, and I have such a great passion for doing that in turn for other people. And I would hope you would think about that. That stuff is life-changing and paradigm-shifting in so many different ways. Speech that is positive, it's easy to be a critic, easy to be a critic, Right? It's kind of like, I mean, I, I, I don't know. It just comes to my mind. I, I, I'm not trying to like play the victim here. I just think about giving a sermon. You know, I've been given lots of, and we have lots of people that give sermons here. But, you know, as we've talked, we've gotten lots of good feedback. But we get a lot of criticism. And often the criticism I get is from people that have never given a sermon. They have no idea what it takes. It's hard. It's hard. 
on so many levels, just to connect with your audience, to try to do something, to be honest in your assessment of Scripture, honest in your assessment of yourself, to connect with people, to get rid of your ums and alls and all your little things that are distracting and all the things you do with your hands. I don't think anybody does this, but like a rave up here or something. But you know what I mean? It's just difficult. You know, people, I've been asking some other pastors like what they do, what their time looks like when they're planning a sermon, how much time do they plan? And it's all over the place. But I would tell you, most times I spend a good eight hours on average. Sometimes that's overkill, as you know, because I go long sometimes. But the thing is, is I love the word and I want to give you as much as you can get. Sometimes, again, it's overkill, but it's out of passion. And we're just quick to criticize people of whatever field, whatever nature. You think about the political realm. We are so quick to criticize, and most of us never studied anything about politics in school. We've read a couple articles, and we think we know something. You don't know anything, most of you. I don't know anything. I'm the dumbest political person on the planet, and honestly, I'm fine with that. Speech that seeks to fill needs, we talked about. And then just lastly, speech that dignifies people. I think, again, this is one of the hard ones. We've beat a dead horse on this, but with the political realm, when we get into these debates and we, uh, we're just so quick to, to, I think, personify people with their ideas. We just see a wrong idea and then we see them as evil. Rather than, guys, we're all a mix of good and bad ideas, and we're all just a bag of walking contradictions. Bag? Uh, mix? Whatever. We're just a bunch of walking contradictions. I just think about that all the time, the things that I teach one minute and the things I teach in another, things I teach here and the things that I practice over here. So I think we need to look to see the best in people. We need to have speech that gives them dignity and value despite if they agree with us or not, despite if their view is right or not, because Jesus still sees value in people that don't recognize him as Lord. Two, wise speech knows when to keep silent. Proverbs 21, 23 says, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. I I already kind of talked about this a little bit, but I was just thinking about how I like to stick my foot in my mouth and just reminding myself that not everything I feel and think needs to be expressed. I came across uh, a quote by Calvin Coolidge. Some of you may be familiar with, but I think it works. I don't think it's a universal statement, but I think it works really well for words said in anger and, and in haste. But he just says, I've never been hurt by anything I didn't say. A lot of pain can be avoided all around by just learning to shut your mouth. Some of this I've, I've talked about, so I'm going to kind of move on. Uh, when is it best to keep silent? I think, number one, in order to listen and understand. You know, some of you are familiar with Sikkim. Uh, we, we take our campus students up to Seattle, Washington, and they go meet with another ministry, and they do some training for our campus students for a week. I did that. I don't know, 2003 or four. it's been a little bit, so I don't remember much. But I remember seek first to understand and then to be understood. And that has done me really well the more that I've put that into practice. Um, I don't say this uh, to be mean, but something I've been thinking about a lot that our body needs to hear, especially men, 
Um, you know, I meet with a lot of men during the week, and a lot of us are really poor listeners. Really poor listeners. A lot of us are not good at asking questions about other people. A lot of us only want to talk about our stuff, and we want other people to talk about our stuff, but we don't want to talk about their stuff. I can tell you one of the things that has bore most, so much fruit in my ministry, and I've, I've shared this illustration before, but John Dyer was a teen uh, in our ministry for a time, and I don't think he'd mind me sharing this. I guess I never asked him, but I've already shared it like 10 times, so whatever. But um, I, uh, you know, he, he's out of college now. He's graduated. I'm sure he'd laugh, but... He was, I don't know, 7th or 8th grade at the time. They had just redone My Little Pony and put it back out. And they were kind of surprised because there is a following of a lot of guys, mostly like middle school, kind of younger high school guys, and they called themselves bronies. And clearly not the coolest thing in the world, per se. Um, But he didn't really have a lot of people to talk to him about it. And when I would get with him initially, he was real shy. I couldn't get much more than like yes or no kind of answers out of him when I would try to learn about his family and learn about him. But as soon as I found that interest, that became our thing. Every time I picked him up, well, I'm getting emotional. (laughs) We would go to the comic book store, and I would let him get the new My Little Pony comic book, and I would just ask him questions about it. Guys, that's the easiest thing to do. Anybody in here can do that. And not everybody's going to have quirky stuff like that. So some, is, some are easier than others. But we love their interest because we love them. I don't need to have some particular passion in, in My Little Pony or understanding to ask him about it. When you're angry, we've kind of talked about that. It's a great time to be silent. Just give yourself 30 or 60 seconds. Um, I came across this. I was Often I'll just spend some time looking for good sermon illustrations when I'm uh, prepping, and I came across this. I think it's from Our Daily Bread. I don't know if that was a magazine or something, but I didn't have time to, to look it up. But it's from Our Daily Bread. And uh, he says, An old Englishman known as Father Graham in his village, was greatly loved because of his positive influence. One day, an angry young man who had just been badly insulted came to see Father Graham. As he explained the situation, he said he was on his way to demand an apology from the one who had wronged him. My dear boy, Father Graham said, take a word of advice from an old man who loves peace. I like that. Take take advice from an old man who loves peace. An insult is like mud. It will brush off better when it is dry. Wait a little till he and you are both cool and the problem will be easily solved. If you go now, you will only quarrel. The young man heeded the wise advice and soon he was able to go to the other person and resolve the issue. So how often the tongue pours fuel in a fire that would go out if just left alone? Perhaps you have a problem with someone and have decided to tell them off. But I would just encourage you, if you're in that situation now, wait. Wait, cool off. And while you're cooling off, and I think one of the best ways to cool off is pray. 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 Pray for the one who offended you, but pray for yourself. Commitments made in haste. Um, It's best to keep silent when correcting a fool. I'm just going to kind of go through these. I want to get through my last point. Deconstructive criticism. Guys, criticism can be very healthy. But when you're giving it, who is it really about? I think one of the best things to do when you've got some criticism um, or you feel offended, ask questions. 
So often it's based off of misunderstandings or you've conflated an issue that's not that big of a deal. Ask questions. Lying, self-acclaim. I tell my kids a lot. Guys, don't brag about your, my kids, not my kids. They're kind of young. My, my teenagers in team ministry. That um, Penelope's looking at me. She's been doing this thing where she's, when she's confused, she says, what? And it's <laughs> so cute. She also says yes. Instead of saying yes, she says, wow. And I love it. Wow. But yeah, I just say, let people brag about you. You don't brag about yourself. Let others brag about you. That's why I, I think, again, it's so important that we see value and we speak that into people because people just get starved and they're looking for people to value them and they don't know any other way than just talk about how great they are. I can tell you that that stops as soon as you start noticing them and you start feeding that. I think a really good principle to live by is one that Ronnie's given us and he's just said very wisely, you can always say more louder later. Raise your hand if you've been blessed by that advice. Yes. My last point is wise speech. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to make this my last point. Uh, wise speech scatters knowledge. Proverbs 15:7. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, but the hearts of fools are not upright. Other uh, translations will say things like scatters or disperse, spread, broadcast. I'm not the best at coming up with illustrations, so if this doesn't land, don't judge too harshly. But I just kind of have this immediate picture of like a man or a woman with a handful of bird seed cheerfully scattering them around. They get their hands full and they go out with great joy and great intention with that seed. In order to scatter truth wherever you go, you must first have it. You must know it. You must want to scatter generously. You must seek it eagerly and attain it abundantly. You must desire to share it. You must be willing and ready to share it. And this must be done in light of the fact that not all will want what you have, but many will. We've bought into this lie that nobody wants this anymore. Nobody wants to investigate Jesus or or Christianity. Nobody has a stomach for it. That is not true. And the surveys time and time again show that is not true. People are curious, even people with great doubt. So the lips of the wise spread knowledge. What is knowledge? Knowledge is not trivial facts. It's not news about others. It's not simply casual conversation. It's not insignificant chatter. It's not worldly discourse. It's not merely political debate. It's not just the weather forecast. Although I do think God is in all of those things, but knowledge spoken of here in Proverbs, is the truth about God. It's the truth about ourselves as children of God. Knowledge of God leads a person from sin and toward heaven and holiness. This knowledge changes hearts and turns people to Jesus. Are you knowledgeable here? Do you have that knowledge? Do you meditate on that? Do you seek it? Do you long for other people to know the deeper things about God? Because this is one of the things we were kind of talking about as a staff the other day. I I would commend our church. I think that we're a very learned church, however you want to put that. Uh, I think we have a lot of people that really take their faith seriously and want to know God. But I think it's easy sometimes, oh, we've got a book club going. Oh, I've got, I'm reading a book. And we think that's kind of good enough when we arrived. Have you looked at yourself as a learner, as a disciple? And are you looking at what the next step for you is? How do, you, how do you get to the next step to get to know the deeper things of God? 
Because when I talk to people, a lot of times they're still just reading kind of popular level Christianity stuff. And I'm not trying to condemn all of that, but I just want to say, man, if you only knew, there's greater stuff out there. There's greater stuff out there. If all you're doing is chewing up Joel Olstein, guys, there's greater stuff out there. And I don't say that condemning. I don't. That's between him and God. But I would just say a lot of us haven't. We've just are experiencing what we know. And we've not had anybody else scatter anything else di- different to us, anything deeper to us. Does that kind of make sense? We're not all called to be deep scholars, but we can all seek to be deeply intimate with Jesus. Not every believer is called to be a teacher per se, but we can all learn and teach, can't we? We can all learn and teach according to what God has given us. And we can take great joy in that. I don't have to compare myself with with what other people are able to understand and teach. I'm just excited I get a little bit of it. The apostle rebuked the Hebrew believers for their ignorance and continued need for teachers and simple instruction. It was time for them to be able to teach others, but they had squandered their learning and faculty of speech. He says this in 5, 12 to 14. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. I want to wrap up here. If you want my fourth point, I'll send you my uh, notes. I want to wrap up. I know we're right at 1130, but in my typical fashion, I want to play out and end with one song. It's only two minutes. Um, Aaron Garrett, are we still going to do that last song up here? You guys want to scratch that? Okay. We'll scratch it from my song. My song's better anyway. (laughs) But growing up, my favorite hymn, I think my dad might remember this, but my my favorite hymn growing up was Hard Fighting Soldier. Anybody in here know that song? One person? Um, But I would just say, as we listen to this, it's a very simple song. Um, And I just want to preface it. I recognize that this idea of being a soldier doesn't really relate to everybody, right? But I do think that it's a really appropriate metaphor for living like Jesus in the midst of the world, in the midst of Satan having some dominion over this world that God's allowed, right? Being like a soldier, it takes great sacrifice, perseverance, loss, pain, a dogged refusal to give up hope. Although it is... um, it is all too easy to lose sight of the fact we are in the midst of the greatest and bloodiest battle ever waged. Are we not? This is not a game that you can just sit out on the bench at. You can't take a rest. There is no neutral. You're choosing daily which side you're fighting on by the way that you live your life. And I really feel like this is song in a lot of ways sums up our series. Um, he just simply says, I'm a hard-fighting soldier on the battlefield. He goes on to say, I've got a helmet on my head and in my hand a sword and shield. By the service that I give, I keep on bringing souls to Jesus. Then he goes on to say, you've got to walk right, talk right, sing right, pray right on the battlefield. And that's what it's about, that we're a hard-fighting soldier, and each day we get up and actively and intentionally plan out how we're going to live our lives, and it touches every area of our lives. Amen?
I was going to invite you to sing it, but nobody knows it, so you can just listen to it, and then um, I'm going to go ahead and pray us out right now, so when the song's over, I just hope you guys have a blessed day. God, we thank you so much. Um, again, uh, for uh, your uh, truth about words, and I just pray that we would take them to heart and let them uh, infiltrate our lives. We love you. Amen.